Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's on now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. We continue to bring you conversations with experts throughout high school, college, and the professional ranks. Today's somebody I'm excited to reconnect with. He is a broadcaster at the NBA level. He's done it for a number of years. Our paths first crossed when he worked for the Toronto Raptors. I enjoyed talking to him every time uh, playing against the Raptors because of his joy for the game and what it did for the Canadian basketball scene. He currently is a radio play-by-play announcer for the Chicago Bulls, who are making some moves in free agency. I'm sure we'll get into that. But Chuck Swirsky. Chuck, thanks for joining. Hopefully all is well. Dan, it's an absolute pleasure to reconnect with you after all these years. Obviously, as your listeners and viewers know, um, it was a joy watching you play. And I have followed your career from college to the NBA, and now your transition into our world, and welcome to it. And so here we go. I definitely am in your world of broadcasting. Um, I haven't broken through to the NBA ranks. College has been my focus uh, for the last few years. But tell, tell me a little bit about how you got into the broadcasting world, because I'm always fascinated of how people get into it. I had Rob Doster, who is a college uh, hoops insider earlier this week with a recording and, and he went from playing to a desk job and he couldn't wait to get out some guys go from playing to the broadcast booth how did you get into it well Dan I'm going to tell you what I did not play I was horrible <laughs> I was worse than horrible I was the kind of guy that like my mom would sign me up for CYO play and she put the five dollars down for the season And you were required as a coach to play every player at least once every two games. So the coach would, he wouldn't, he'd forget about me. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot about you. Coach, that was a month ago. I mean, it was like, I was so bad, but I actually knew I wanted to be a sportscaster and a basketball announcer. When I was five years old, I broke my mother's broomstick and used it as a microphone. And, uh, It was awesome. I grew up in Seattle, as you know, Dan, and we didn't have a basketball team in Seattle when I was a kid. The Sonics eventually came in as an expansion team in 1967. But before that, I followed the University of Washington, Seattle University. Seattle, you had a player, in fact, from your area by the name of Ron Howard. He went to Pasco High School, played in the NFL as a tight end and did a really good job there. He was a terrific basketball player for Seattle University, but a high school coach, actually, his son was a year behind me in school, in elementary school, junior high, high school. And without the mentorship 
of that high school coach because my father died when I was in elementary school. I, I'll, I'll tell you what the impact that coaches have on the lives of young people, both men and women, uh, because the advent of women's sports really was very dormant when I was a kid, uh, nowhere near where it is now where young ladies can get involved in sports at a very early age. But, you know, I mean, basketball to me was in a, in a sense, the key to unlock a world and a journey where I am now. Well, I love the connection of the Northwest. I did remember that uh, you were from the Seattle area, but I didn't recognize or realize the connection points. Um, as your career begins to take off, you're spending time in Chicago. You were around the Bulls. You didn't work for the Bulls, I don't believe, but you were around Chicago and the Bulls when they drafted a young guy by the name of Michael Jordan in 1984. <laughs> Tell us about your early kind of observations of, of him as well as how that uh, organization grew to become a dynasty. Okay, well, let's step, Dan, a couple steps back pre-Jordan. I'm the play-by-play -play announcer for DePaul University. And DePaul owned this market in the late 70s under Ray Meyer, who was an unbelievable gentleman, number one, and a great, great human being, in addition to being a Hall of Fame basketball coach. But in the early 70s, DePaul struggled. And then all of a sudden, they got kids to stay at home. Dave Corzine, who played in the NBA, was a center, played for the Spurs, played for Washington, played for the Bulls. Um, so now we've got Dave Corzine, and I'm doing the games. You've got Mark Aguirre, Terry Cummings. You've got Rod Strickland. I mean, you had Kevin Edwards, who played in the NBA. You had Dallas Comedies, who had in the NBA. And DePaul owned this market. They would play, in fact, their first loss ever at the Rosemont Horizon was against Gonzaga. And John Stockton, nobody ever heard of Gonzaga. You know, it's a it's a Monday night. It's snowing in Chicago. You know, DePaul is, you know, like ranked high in the NCAA, AP, UPI, USA Today rankings. And they lose to Gonzaga. But DePaul was like number one. And then all of a sudden, the Bulls are kind of just there. You know, I mean, they're there. They're really not relevant. They draft Jordan third pick overall behind Akeem Olajuwon and Sam Bowie, Houston and Portland, respectively. And Jordan is coming off the 84 Olympics in L.A. where he lit it up. And I remember Rod Thorne saying, like, I'm not sure had the draft taken place before the Olympics, I don't think he would have fallen to three because there would have been so much pressure on Portland to take him at two. Uh, and he's probably right. So Jordan arrives at 84 and immediately, uh, and I'm going to have some comparisons to the impact, okay? The impact, not necessarily playing, but the impact Vince Carter had when I came to the Raptors, his rookie year, Jordan's rookie year, he made basketball impactful in the city. It was must-see hoops, as you know. I mean, you played against Carter. So, you know, bottom line is uh, Jordan uh, just re-energized this city. 
I love that comment, must see hoops, uh, because, you know, I was a young kid that grew up in the Portland area. Um, for the Blazers, they were must see hoops to me. And, and that was when there wasn't a national TV package where every single game was on. There weren't regional TV packages where every single game was on. So I remember as a kid, you know, when, when I'm driving to my own youth practices with my parents or we're going to grandma, grandpa's house or whatever, turning on uh, the radio and listening to Bill Shonley call yeah. the games for the Portland Trailblazers, Lickety Brindle up the middle, Rip City, all the different oh, yeah. one-liners that he had. You've worked on both the TV and the radio side at the NBA level, and I also believe at the college level. Yep. Uh, which is your favorite medium, radio or TV? That's a good question. And, and by the way, I grew up listening to Bill Shonley. Bill, before he left for the Trailblazers, was like the guy in Seattle. I mean, he was the broadcaster for the old Seattle Pilots. You're way too young to remember that, Dan. But, I mean, the Pilots had one year of baseball, 1969. They had so many financial issues. And Bill really you know, decided, where are we going with this? And I go into Milwaukee with the Brewers. And he said, you know, I love the Northwest. And then Portland picked up the phone and hired him. And uh, honestly, Dan, I love Portland. One of my sisters still lives there. I would go to Portland and watch the Far West Classic, which was a college basketball tournament late December at Memorial Coliseum. They would bring in a field of like superstar Division I NCAA teams. It was unbelievable. So, um, you know, when, when you say TV, radio, having grown up on radio in my generation, I loved radio. So when I did play-by-play -play for DePaul, and then I went to Michigan, and I did the tail end of the Fab Five, and then that recruiting class of guys like Maceo Baston, Gerard Ward, Maurice Taylor, Robert Trailer came the next year, rest his soul. And that was a period where I really relished calling college games on the radio. In fact, Rob Polinka, who was my color analyst and a player, he was the third guard on the Fab Five. He went to law school. He was my radio analyst for a year plus on the Michigan broadcast. Now he's the GM of the Lakers. So radio was very important. I go to radio first with the Raptors. Then I do simulcast, which means both radio and TV are getting the same audio feed. And that's very difficult. Then I made the switch to TV for eight years and then rejoin the Chicago market with the Bulls. And I'm going on my 14th year with the Bulls after 10 with the Raps. Yeah, the, the simulcast, I've heard from a no, number of other friends of mine in, in the industry that have done it. They have said that is one of the most difficult challenges yes. uh, that, that can be done in the broadcast industry. Because as a radio guy, you're trying to kind of paint a picture for somebody who can't see it. Yet at the same time for the TV side, people are watching it, they can see it, and they might be wondering, why is he describing so many uh, actions going on on the floor? And I can imagine for you as a play-by-play -play guy, it would be different, but from a color analyst, I'm sure it's even more difficult. Uh, Dan, let me tell you what, there, there is a balance, and it took me a while to get that balance because on one hand, you don't want to neglect the radio audience. You want them to know where the ball is. Is the ball on the right side? How much time on the shot clock? 
Um, what's what's happening with the player? Is he using his left hand dribble drive, left angle to the rim, flips it up, it's on a scoop? Well, on television, you can see that. Now, as an analyst, the thing that drove the analysts crazy for simulcast, they would say, well, as you see here, well, if you're on radio, no, I can't see here. Hello? <laughs> you know, so eventually that went away. So you, you're doing a simulcast and then you go strictly to the TV booth in Toronto. Um, yep. I remember uh, before my draft in 2002, I had a really nice workout in Toronto. I thought there was a chance and opportunity to go there. Yep. Many players and many agents were hesitant for their guys at that time. It's changed, but at that time they were hesitant to really push their guys to Toronto to get to go there. I obviously didn't get drafted there. I didn't play there. But every time I went to Toronto uh, over the course of my six-year career, I saw a building of understanding of the game of basketball. And not just being an event, but an understanding and a love for the game. What did you see in the, your course of time uh, in Toronto for the people and the game of basketball and the Raptors? Well, uh, again, we're going to break this down, Dan. Number one, from a social, social standpoint, you know, a lot of these players who are drafted 19, 20 years old, they don't have a passport. So they get picked by the Raptors and they say, oh, by the way, do you have a passport? No. Okay, we got to get you one. And so that takes, it's a process. You just don't, you know, here's a piece of paper, come in. This is a different country. And plus, if friends or family members to come into Canada, do you have a passport? No. Okay, well, you need a passport. This is not just, you know, I'm driving the, from South Dakota to Georgia and, you know, I'll be there in two days and one night. You know, this is not Dan Dickow with the RV with a family here. <laughs> so, I mean, that was an adjustment. The second adjustment is customs, going through the airport. And players despised it. And fortunately, you know, the Raptors then got their own gate, so to speak, with the charter. And that alleviated a lot of the issues. But then it was a hassle. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It was a hassle. And then, of course, currency is different. But the players got paid in American. You know, I got paid Canadian. And there is a difference, obviously, a differential from the Canadian currency and U.S. Sometimes. The two were dead even as far as the dollar. Sometimes one took a, a leap up. Sometimes it took a dip. So that was a little different. Um, and, you know, I mean, it is what it is. But as far as basketball, let me tell you what. The arrival of Vince Carter in the 98-99 draft, that changed everything. Because every night, Dan, as you know, you played against him. But before he... Injuries started to come into play around his fourth year in the league. And if somebody told me about years four and five with Vince that he would play 22 years, I would say, you're crazy. What was it, 22, 23, I forget. But if somebody said he's going to play 20-plus years, what? But to his credit, he got his body right, nutrition, the whole bit, took care of himself. God bless him. He's going to the Hall of Fame. But that rookie year especially, it was a lockout year, Dan. We played 50 games in 99 days. Think about that. And we were playing 
back-to-back-to-back games. We were playing three games in three nights. We had three of those. And Vince, every night, boom, 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 whether it was a, you know, a windmill dump, whether it was a 360, whether it was just a violent two-handed copy on his back and then throwing it down. And then on top of that, we had McGrady coming into his second year. So we had two players. Vince was 20 and McGrady was 19. And I'm thinking, this is great. This These two staples are going to be the elements of the future of this franchise. And McGrady left after his third year. Uh, because in those days, you could become a free agent after your rookie deal, which lasted three. But Vince carried that ball club and and put basketball on the map. Without Vince Carter, I don't think the popularity of the Raptors or popularity of basketball in Canada for guys like Tristan Thompson, who watched him when he was a kid, Corey Joseph, Kelly Olenek, a Gonzaga kid, as you know, all these kids would not have been like locked in to hoops without Vince. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I've watched some of the documentaries, and as I mentioned, I saw the growth in in knowledge of the game and in passion, not just a curiosity from from my time traveling to to play against the Raptors. But it's interesting when you look at that superstar dynamic and the impact he had in Toronto versus what happened in Vancouver with the Grizzlies. They couldn't quite get over the hump. But you look at Toronto as being Canada's team, and you became a face for the Raptors in basketball in Canada. How fun was that to you um, to be kind of looked at, I would imagine, looked at as, um, you know, a voice of the game in the, in, the, in a country? What was that like for you? Well, you know what, Dan, thank you for mentioning that. I don't, I mean, listen, I, I happen to be at the right place at the right time. I'm not going to, now, does, I, I took advantage of an opportunity because of my passion for the sport, my joy for the sport, my love of the game because it is a fabulous game when it's played the right way. Um, But I will say this, because it was a perfect union and the, what I call a perfect storm, Vince's rookie year, you know, brand new building in Toronto at that time named, coined the Air Canada Center. I, I coined the nickname for Vince, Air Canada Carter, because the building itself was sponsored by you know, Canadian airline, Air Canada, and the way Vince would soar to the rim, it was a natural. So everything just kind of, you know, morphed and galvanized into one. And I said, hey, let's go for it. And, you know, it went from McGrady to Carter to Bosch. And then I left in 2008. And ironically, where I enjoyed the benefits of Vince's rookie year, I came to Chicago for Derrick Rose's rookie year. And I did every one of Derrick Rose's games in a Bulls uniform. And two different players, two different environments. Chicago was already established with the Jordan era. And, you know, the Bulls came into existence in 1966, where the Raptors came in in that 95-96 expansion year. But the individuals had the same... Uh, platform to do some great things for their respective cities. Yeah, de- that Derrick Rose rookie year was impressive. Yeah. That's for sure. I'm sure that was fun to be around, especially because, you know, different with Vince Carter, who's in a new country, 
Derrick Rose is from Chicago, and so the yes. buzz was probably much different, kind of pulling for the, the hometown kid, wanting him to do well. So you're back with Chicago. You've seen some ups and downs. Uh, give me your outlook on the Bulls for this upcoming year because Zach Levine is obviously a huge piece. He's a Pacific Northwest guy yeah. that I've followed since high school. Uh, he just is coming back from winning a gold medal with Team USA at the Tokyo Olympics. But you guys have added some new pieces. What kind of excitement and buzz is there around Chicago right now for the Bulls? Uh, I will let you know, Dan, every time his Bothell High Cougars play my Interlake Saints in the Kinko Conference, in Bellevue, I let him know about it. Um, but, you know, Zach is an all-star player, Olympic gold now, and he's 26. You know, it seems like Zach Levine's belief been in the league like forever. And then you all of a sudden, what? He's only 26, but he came in the league at 18. And um, so we have Levine, you know, we made a trade last year with Orlando for Nikola Vucevic, uh, who can run a pick and roll and rolls to the rim as well as anybody. He has great hands, terrific, terrific basketball IQ. And then we have this young man we drafted a year ago, Patrick Williams. And Dan, I'm going to tell you right now, this kid is going to be sensational. He is the second youngest player last year in the NBA. And he's 19. He won't turn 20 until later this month. He gets it. And he's a kid from Florida State. Leonard Hamilton turns out great pro prospects. So there you have two players. On top of that, then, they brought in Lonzo Ball from New Orleans. And I think a change of scenery is going to help him. And because he's, he's the point guard now, uh, there is no question about it. He's going to play over 30 minutes a game. He's the guy. Then they brought in DeMar DeRozan in a uh, trade with San Antonio. And then, you know, you look at the big picture here and you've got Lonzo and you've got Tamar DeRozan and you've got Patrick Williams and you've got Zach Levine and you got Vooch. And then coming off the bench, you got Alex Caruso. And I love Alex Caruso. If you talk to people with the Lakers, they'll tell you he was their best defensive guard on the team. And with Kobe White, who's banged up right now, hopefully he'll be back for the season opener. You know, I mean, they still have some things to do with their bench, but I'm optimistic. Well, the Eastern Conference uh, was interesting last year because Miami couldn't seem to quite get it and keep it yep. together throughout the year. And then Milwaukee just continuously improved throughout the year before they obviously went on and won the title. But uh, Chuck, I appreciate the time. It was great to reconnect. And hopefully at some point, I'm back in an NBA arena watching yes. games. And maybe I'll bring one of my boys. And uh, hopefully it'll be against the Bulls at some point And we can say hello in person. Absolutely. Always. Dan, great seeing you. Thank you. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.